0: Well, uh, grateful uh, to be together on this day. Good to hear voices singing together. Uh, And, uh, you know, even just hearing Lynn praying for God to bring healing to people who uh, need healing. And I don't know if you recognize that, but every person that he prayed for, people that we've been praying for, that had to miss a lot of time with the church family, every one of them is here today. So Ryan's here, Bob's over there. Irv and Donna hanging out in the back today and so grateful that God is faithful, right? Um, so just a reminder, and Gary as well. Uh, Gary also here today. So all those people that he mentioned. So, you know, we pray for God to heal and we kind of just like, well, we should do that. And we know God does do that, but it's good to be reminded. Yeah, he really does. And so very thankful for that today. Um, thankful that we can be together as a church uh, I thought I put all my slides that I made yesterday on that computer and they just came and told me they're not there. So they're trying to figure that out. Eventually, I think there will be some slides up there, um, but if not, uh, then I just wasted an hour yesterday and you need to make sure you have your Bible in front of you. That's that's better. That's a good reminder. You never know uh, when something might get messed up. And so... So check out uh, your Bible. Bring one with you. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to get one in your hands. Uh, And so let us know and we will get one to you. We're in Hebrews chapter 10 today, so you can turn to Hebrews 10 verse 19. The argument of the whole book has been really quite simple. Jesus is better than anything. And so, as we've walked through the book so far, all these arguments, seeking to persuade people, Jesus is better than Moses, Jesus is better than angels, Jesus is better than, uh, than, he's the better priest of a better covenant. So we've been covering this over the course of a number of weeks. And the application of all of this really is simple as well. Because Jesus is better than anything, then we should stick with Jesus. Or another way to say that would be endure by Faith, don't turn aside, don't turn away, don't turn back. And so we have mentioned that this book is really put together like a sermon. Uh, so we're we're going through it relatively quickly because I think it was intended to actually go through it all in one. This is just one sermon. And if you look at chapters one all the way through ten eighteen, that really is kind of like the body of the sermon. Here's the here's the argument they're trying to make, and then. Starting today, chapter 10, verse 19, to the end of the book, is really the application section of the sermon. Now, there's been application sprinkled in throughout it as well, but that's really what we get to in this last section of the book. So today is the first message in the last section uh, of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 10, 19-39, we're going to see, remember the context is persecution. The, The people who had grown up, many of them in the Jewish faith, Now, by God's grace, through faith in Jesus, are saved. They're believers. And so their temptation is, oh, persecution was bad. Um, It is getting worse. Maybe maybe I ought to turn back and go to the old religion. And the argument is don't do it. Don't do it. And so today, uh, we're going to look at 19 to 39. Here's the big idea today. We must draw near and hold fast together so that we avoid God's judgment and endure by faith until we receive God's promised reward. Hey, did we get it? Excellent. Good. I didn't waste an hour. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, thank you uh, that we can be gathered together, even as your word commands us to do in this very passage. And thank you that we can do it uh, without real fear of persecution, uh, like the believers getting this message first had to fear. And so God, thank you Uh, that we can gather safely and securely, and I pray uh, that we wouldn't just uh, take for granted this opportunity to be your people gathered together, uh, empowered by your spirit to understand your word. Would you be at work in us for your glory even now? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're able to, go ahead and stand, and we will read uh, in entirety Hebrews 10, 19-39. Listen to God's word. Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, And has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified. And has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days. When after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and preserve their souls. Amen. You can be seated. Powerful word this morning. Looking forward to, to digging in a little deeper together. Sermon notes page might be helpful for you. We want to be people that apply the word, and that's what the life group guide is for as well. So uh, as Eric invited you, join a life group if you're not in one. And if you are unable to do it, um, uh, then, then find ways to work together with others in some other way on applying the word of God together. Three points today. It starts out you could tell the tone of the passage changed in different parts. There was encouragement, there was a warning, and then there was an exhortation. So, we begin at the beginning with the encouragement today. And notice how it begins in verses 19 to 21 with a summary in many ways of what Christ has done. If I were to say what is verse 19 to 21 doing, I would say it's summarizing everything from chapter 4 verse 14 up through 10:18. So it's like a summary of about 6 chapters of Hebrews in three short verses, reminding them of what it is that Christ has done. And we need to be reminded of this again and again and again. Verses 19 to 21 are really that reminder. Just read it so I won't read it in detail again, but just recognizing, remember the dilemma being, there is a holy and righteous God, and they knew from their previous religion that not just anybody could enter his presence. And so there was literally a curtain that separated the very presence of God from the people. Only one person, only one time a year bringing sacrifices could go in there. They knew as sinful people they could not draw near or have fellowship with a holy and righteous God. And so there was a system by which their sins could be dealt with and there could be some type of fellowship between God and sinners. And he's reminding them that what has happened in Christ is so much better than anything that happened under the old covenant. That through Christ and by the blood of His covenant, by His blood, sinners can enter into the presence of God without being consumed. The curtain, remember, torn in two from top to bottom when Jesus was crucified on the cross. And through Jesus and only through Jesus could you have a right relationship with God. They knew they needed a priest, and he's telling them, you don't need any other imperfect earthly priest anymore. We have Jesus, the great high priest, who allows us into the presence of God. Right? So he's just reminding them of these things in verses 19 to 21. Because what is common in Scripture is that before some commands come to us, the commands are preceded by an a, a indication of what God has already done. So there's going to be some commands in this passage. But again, we're reminded, here's what Christ has already accomplished for you. Therefore, did you notice those words there in verses 19 to 21? Therefore, brothers, since. So he's tying it all. Like what we're about to say is tied back to everything we've just said. Therefore and since. And then we see it again in verse 21. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. All right. So that's what's already happened because of what Christ has done for us then we have maybe you noticed as I read it three let us commandments okay three let us commandments the first one is verse 22 let us draw near it says let us draw near and notice how we draw near again this is the idea of we can be in God's presence There was a seeking to draw near to God in all sorts of ways in the past, but now we can draw near in a new way because of what Christ has done. We draw near, verse 22 says, with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, One thing that the Old Testament system would remind them of is their dirtiness before God again and again, and now we can draw near to God because of what He's done. Cleaning, washing pure, right? So draw near. The second let us is this, verse 23. Let us hold fast, listen to it, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering For he who promised is faithful. So again, we've got, here's something that's true. God who makes the promise is faithful. That is why we can follow the command. To do what? What does this command mean? Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. The confession of our hope is the core gospel truths that they're believing they're holding fast to what are the core gospel truths that they've been taught and have believed. He's saying, we must hold fast to those things. Think about their context. When persecution was a very real threat, when you would be, as a Christian, ridiculed and persecuted, wouldn't it be so easy to just like, go soft on or compromise those core gospel truths? But he's calling them, we must not do that. We must hold fast to the confession of our hope. This hope that they have in Jesus. Think about how foolish this sounds to the world around them. That we believe in the eternal Son of God, who was born of a virgin, who took on human flesh, who lived a perfectly sinless life who died, executed by the government as a criminal, dying in our place for our sins, raised from the dead, ascending to heaven, will come again. That sounds like foolishness to the people around them, and yet he says we must hold fast to that. That is the basis of our hope. If we have hope in in nothing other than, we, we must have hope in nothing other than Jesus, and we must hold on to the confession of our hope. The first song we sang today, those are the first words of it. In Christ alone, our hope is found. Right? He's the confession of our hope. And then the third let us commandment is in verses 24 and 25. Let us, here it says it again, let's just read it, verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Notice One thing I should point out, all of these commandments have been let us commandments. He's not saying you should. He's saying let us. This is what we do. As believers, let us together. This is what we do. We are to, recognizing this, that we are, yes, saved from sin, but we're saved into fellowship or community with other believers. Yes, you can have a personal relationship with God, But that personal relationship is meant to be lived out in gospel community. And this small persecuted group of believers, they knew that. They had no hope of standing on their own. I think we've lost that. They knew that. There's no way I can stand on my own. They they knew they needed one another. Apparently, though, some had started to believe that they could get away without gathering together. And so it had become the habit, notice that word, the habit of some to neglect meeting together. But they can't, so they must get together with a purpose. And their purpose as they gathered together was to be this. Why did he say to gather gather together? To stir one another up. To love and to good works. To consider how they should stir one another up. To love and good works. And then also, what was the other purpose that we see there? Encouraging one another. They needed to gather together for those purposes. So, after each of these points, we're going to pause for some application because it's just filled with it. So, application point number one. We must gather together and we must do it on purpose. We must gather together and we must do it on purpose. So, question number one for you out of two questions here. One, will I gather Will I gather? Some in that day, likely because of the persecution, neglected or got into the habit of neglecting to meet together. Let me just tell you that excuses that we have for not getting together with the church are way more lame than that. Like whatever excuse we have for not gathering together, it's not because if I do, I might get killed. Our excuses are way more lame, like we're tired or I'm an introvert, or it's been a long week, right? Or there was a kid's sports thing. They're lame excuses. Church, as the day of Christ's return draws near, that's what he's talking about when he says, and all the more as that day is drawing near. As that day is drawing nearer and nearer, times are going to get harder and harder, and if we are drifting away from fellowship with the church, The world is going to look more and more tempting, and we will easily be swallowed up. I know you're tired. I am too sometimes. I know there's lots of other options. But we must not, church, fail to gather together. I mean, all the stuff that would tempt us to go away, I I remember, I love sports. I especially love the sport of baseball. But there was this one thing that was said to me when our kids were young that really was helpful to me. It was coming from another dad who said, if I have successfully taught my kids to keep their eye on the ball, but have not taught them to keep their eyes on Christ, I have failed as a father. We must gather together, and all the more as we say the day, drawing near church we need each other our world is confused and we're going to get confused right along with them if we are not coming together to regularly be reminded uh to confess together the hope that we have in the words that we're singing in in preached word in sunday school in like like, we need to be together for those purposes that we might together hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering i hope our answer to the question will i gather is this well we must We must gather together. Other things are negotiable, but this is not. And then the second question is, will I gather with a purpose? Will I gather with a purpose? It's not just gathering together, but gathering together with a purpose. Remember the purpose is here in verses 24 and 25. They're gathering together to consider how they can stir one another up to love and good works and gathering together to encourage one another. We need to stir one another up. Isn't that an interesting uh, ana- like, uh, illustration of what we're doing when we get together? I was actually just making some waffles from a box mix the other day. And, and it said, you know, get this stirred up. And then it said, while you're making your waffles, the, the batter just sitting there will tend to go flat. And before you put it back in the waffle iron, you might need to stir it up a little bit so that it doesn't go flat. I think that's a good analogy of what he's saying here. Our tendency is going to be to go flat, that we can get really focused on ourselves, our own lives, our own struggles, and we can fail to be stirred up to love and good works. And so one of the reasons we gather together is to get stirred up a little bit so that we don't go flat and just kind of keep focusing on ourselves. We get, we, we get together in order to be, consider how we can stir one another up to love and good works and then also to encourage one another to encourage one another. We get beat up in this world and we need to gather together uh, to be encouraged. A lot of the things, when we get beat up, we want to distract ourselves. We want to be entertained. So we just watch TV. We look at our phone. Like we do something to kind of numb ourselves often. But what we really need is to gather together with the church and be encouraged and be intentional when we're doing it. Uh, Think about this. What might happen if on Sunday morning it was just like our getting ready wasn't just about like what am I going to wear? How am I going to look? And let's get there uh, without hurting each other as a family, right? What if instead we just a quick prayer and just ask God, God, I know I need to be stirred up today. I, I got selfish again this week, and, and I want to be stirred up to love and good works. God, I need to be encouraged today. So God, would you, would you use somebody else in the church? So come ready to receive. Expecting that God's going to, you know, because hopefully somebody else is praying. God, would you use me to stir somebody up to love and good works today? God, would you use me to encourage somebody? Let's be intentional in our conversation. That's what we're talking about in that Sunday school class in here. How do we become more intentional in really knowing and getting deeper with some people that we might build one another up, stirring one another up? All right? Now, the tone of the passage changes in verses 26 and following. All of a sudden, we have a warning. Earlier in the book, this is not the first warning passage. In fact, this is the last warning passage. There have been five or six, depending on how you count them, warning passages sprinkled throughout the book of Hebrews. Why warnings? Why are warnings necessary well, warnings are necessary, and they're a useful means of encouraging people not to veer off the course. You've seen campaigns, haven't you, uh, of things like, like trying to warn people about the dangers of like, texting and driving or drunk driving, right? You've seen those things, and the warning sometimes seems very severe and very stark. Sometimes they will even show images of an accident that caused the loss of life of someone because somebody else was drunk and driving or texting and driving, right? So, so, so you, th- there's a warning there that is to encourage us to not engage in that activity that would cause those consequences. That's what we see here in verses 26 through 31. Now, again, think about the context of them. We, I, I had applications, so we jumped off. Think about them again. Remember the temptation they would face. That because of rising persecution, one way for them to protect themselves would be to walk away from Jesus. To kind of just shrink back. They they would be better off and not in danger of so much physical harm if they would just walk away from Jesus. That was a real temptation for them. How how do I keep... I mean, think about a dad. Some of you are dads. How do I keep my family safe? Well, if I just kind of tone it down and walk away from Jesus, my family might be safer. There was also the real temptation because they were still sinners. The temptation that would say, I can keep on sinning because God is merciful, so I think I'll be fine in the end. Those temptations are real. And in light of that, we hear this warning. Let me just read it in full again, and then I'll point out a couple of things. Verses 26 to 31. For if we go on sinning deliberately... After receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Those who receive the knowledge of the truth yet go on sinning deliberately that is they are not remorseful or repentant they sin they know it's sin and they just keep walking right into it what should they expect according to this passage look at verse 26 and 27 a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries what are they in effect doing? Look at verse 29. It is like they are doing this. It's deserved. This judgment deserved because what are they doing? They're trampling underfoot the Son of God, profaning the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, outraging the spirit of grace. So should they expect God's mercy? Verses 28 and verse 30 really seem to say no. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay it, says in verse 30. And again, the Lord will judge his people. And then that conclusion in verse 31, a a chilling conclusion really to the warning. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. If you turn back from all the things that God has done for you in Christ and continue to live in ongoing, deliberate sin, you will face God's judgment and it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So application point number two. Let me just aim this at two different groups. One, aiming it at those of you who are living in ongoing, deliberate sin. A very simple message. Repent now. You may know a lot of truth, you may call yourself a Christian, but Christians are not those who live in ongoing deliberate sin, but those who repent of sin, those who have had their minds and their hearts changed, and that though there is still sin dwelling in us, and though we still commit sin, we see it as sin as we turn and we turn from it. That's what Christians do. Are you living in ongoing deliberate sin? then may God work in you through this passage to give you a fearful expectation of judgment. I don't want to take this and kind of like tone it down and say, well, it's not saying this. That seems to be what it's saying. If you're living in ongoing deliberate sin, you should live in fearful expectation of judgment, which is what you deserve. Now, let me also address one other group of people, because a number of you in here are, yes, as sinners, though, acknowledging your sin and turning from it. Praise be to God, but listen, you know people who are living in ongoing deliberate sin. And so, application for you would be, warn them. Sometimes in our good desire not to offend people, we fail to be honest with people. And tiptoeing around the truth is not loving. So maybe not every conversation you have with somebody living in ongoing deliberate sin is filled with warnings about God's coming judgment. But if you never say anything about God's coming judgment, if you never sound a little bit like he sounds here in Hebrews 10, 26 to 31, I wonder if we're loving people well. Again, images of a deadly car crash due to drunk driving or texting while driving, those are disturbing images but they're necessary sometimes to warn people about a potentially deadly behavior. How much more should the not potentially deadly but surely deadly images of the judgment of God on unrepentant sinners be necessary to warn people about the sure result of their eternally destructive behavior? So there is encouragement, there is a warning And then in verses 32 to 39, we have a concluding exhortation. That I say concluding to the passage today, but really it's the introduction to the rest of the book. The theme of the following chapters is going to be introduced here. We could spend a lot more time on it, but because it's going to be really the content of the next few sermons, uh, we'll go through it relatively quickly. Here's the main message of verses 32 to 39, really 32 to the end of the book. You could just sum it up in this way. Endure by faith. Endure by faith. How do we do that? How are they supposed to endure by faith? Notice what he says. Verses 32 to 34. In verses 32 to 34, he's calling them to look back. You endure by faith when you look back sometimes. Notice what they're looking back to. Did everything go well when they were first Christians? Did did they like start out like it was easy and now it's getting harder? Look at what it says in verses 32 to 34. It says, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, so this is after they were saved, listen to what it was like for them. You endured a hard struggle with sufferings. One of those words would have been fine, like hard struggle or just struggle, but hard struggle with sufferings. Okay, This is what it was like for them as new believers. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. And sometimes being partners with those so treated. This is how it was for them when they were first Christians. Not like, hey, come to Christ and you can live your best life now. Things will get better. Like, no, things immediately got worse for them. And they're just on their way to getting even worse yet. Verse 34, for you had compassion on those in prison. This is, how, this is what it looked like for them to endure. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. I love that verse. How did they endure? Well, they, they, they had compassion on those in prison. Likely, it was their brothers and sisters in Christ that were being put in prison. And if they were going to survive in prison, they had to depend on their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ having compassion on them, bringing them food and what they needed. But then it also has this comment, they joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. You took all my stuff, right? Who does that? Well, it tells us who does that. People who know that they have a better possession and an abiding one, right? People that know that. You burned down my house because I'm a Christian? Well, in my Father's house, there are many rooms. And my Savior told me He's going there to prepare a place for me. You can have my house. They endure by faith by looking back and remembering how much they've already endured. And by remembering they have a better possession and an abiding one. that's, That's looking ahead. Look at verses 35 to 39. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance. Again, that call for endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. He's talking great reward. You receive what's promised. Look ahead to what is still to come. And then this promise actually quoted from the book of Habakkuk. For yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. Right? Jesus is coming again. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. You see there are two choices for the believers there? you got a choice. Are you going to continue to endure by faith, the righteous shall live by faith, or are you going to be those who shrink back? If you shrink back, my soul has no pleasure in him, God says. And then it says this in verse 39, the conclusion, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. I love this kind of like pep talk. Like that's not us. That's not going to be us. Right? That is not going to be us. The ones who shrink back and are destroyed. We will not be those people. No, who will we be? But of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So a final application point. Pretty simple. Let's not be those who shrink back. Let's be those who endure by faith. How do we do that? I think we do it just like they did it, by looking back and by looking ahead. Anytime I see the word endurance, I'm, I'm reminded, so I run sometimes. And uh, and I ran a marathon last in 2015, so it's been a little while. Um, but I, that, that's a test of endurance. And I remember how I, I went through an injury where I thought, like, I can't, I can't even go do it. Like, all my training was for nothing because a couple weeks before the marathon, I just, I can't even train anymore. I'm done. Uh but then on a physical therapy, like, no, I think you can do it. Just try this, try this, try that. So, so I did that, went and ran the marathon, and I was feeling surprisingly good for a lot of it. Had, had quite a bit of confidence, and I got to, I don't know, somewhere between miles 17 and 21, and something that had never hurt before started hurting because I had taken some time off from training, right? And you and would have been the easiest thing at that point. is just, all right, I'm done. I didn't know if I could do it. I don't think I can do it. I'm done. Shrink back. Right, just gonna walk off the course, pain and pain and agony just done, right? Part of what kept me going at that point was remembering what I had done to try to come back from this injury, all of the hours that I had put into training uh, leading up to it. It's like, no, I gotta stick with it i mean i I was a little bit looking forward to the reward at the end, but it's it's a stupid little medal in a t shirt like you run that far, they should give you more than that, right. But that's, so I was doing kind of a combination of enduring by looking back at what I had been through and endured and looking ahead at the reward yet in front of me. And so I was able to, by doing that, not finish strong, I limped my way to the finish line, but I got there. And I recognize that some of you, church, have had it bad. There have been seasons in your life where you are just about to throw in the towel, You were just about to drop out of the race. You were just about to walk away from your faith. You were just about to shrink back, but you didn't. Don't you love that phrase? That reminds them how they once joyfully accepted the plundering of their property since they knew that they had a better possession and an abiding one. Church, may we be the kind of people who endure by faith when we remember that... What God has given us is better than anything we can get on earth here anyway. So yeah, our bodies are wasting away. And some of you are feeling it even today. But know this. If we endure by faith, we get a better and abiding one. Our life is filled with stress and broken relationships. But know this. If we endure by faith... We will one day be living forever in perfect peace where sin will be no more. And so, church, may we be a church that looks ahead, helping one another. We need one another. We need to be reminded. We need to hold fast together. We need to draw near together. Looking ahead together at the great reward promised to all those saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus. That though we get older and our temptation might be to idolize our comfort, that instead, with all of our aches and pains and struggles, we might limp our way to the finish line. Hoping more and more each day in Jesus, who is our sure and steady anchor. So that we would be people who don't just believe words of a good song that we're going to sing, but as Brandon told us earlier, that, that we, would, we, would, we, would, we would, I can't remember what you said, it was good though. You remember that? You remember what Brandon said? It was good. But we're going to hear these words, we're going to sing these words, and I hope we sing them like we really mean it. Christ the sure and steady anchor as we face the wave of death. When these trials give way to glory, as we draw our final breath, we will cross that great horizon, clouds behind and life secure, and the calm will be the better for the storms that we endure. Let's pray. Father, uh, whatever You were pleased to do in us while we sat under Your Word together today, I pray that You would continue that work, that You would bring it to completion. We know we need to be encouraged. We know that we need to encourage others, so help us. Help us to commit to gathering together, to encourage one another, to stir one another up. We thank You that You are a God who, who doesn't shrug shoulders at sin. But as we saw in this warning here that You're a God who will judge. And so God, we pray for those living in ongoing deliberate sin that they would fear Your judgment and that that would cause them to repent. And God, we pray that You would help us not to be those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to be those who endure by faith in Christ who is our sure and steady anchor and in whose name we pray. Amen.